Fanatics, the cult hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Fantastic. How are you doing? Uh, all right. Just had a big nap and had a big family event this afternoon. Came home oh. and crashed out for a while, and I'm just kind of getting getting my head back into the There's things nothing. tonight, but all's good. I love my naps as well. Such a great way to rejuvenate. Mm. What was the event? Uh, we had uh, family visiting from Wales. That, wow. Uh, was at my uh, uh, niece's and uh, her husband's house in uh, southwest Edmonton. And it was, uh, we've had lots of family going, coming and going this last while. So it's been a kind of interesting time. But, uh, so we sat out in a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful day it was today. Just gorgeous. I walked this morning, had this time this afternoon, had a little sleep. All good to go. Hockey. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. I'm just uh, thinking of Wales. Where is, where is, is Inversnade in Wales? There's this great poem called Inversnade. And when sounds I first like read it. Be. It sounds like it sounds Scottish. Ah, you know, like uh, it's Scottish. Yeah. Uh, it's a Scottish, famous it's, Scottish place that I've actually <clears throat> been to. Um, when I first read it, it looked, it seemed like it was in another language. Well, it was so strange. It could be Scottish or Welsh. Then. But it was Scottish, and I <laughs> gradually yeah. deciphered it. Yeah. All right, uh, Bruce. The captain's skate is going on. We're going to talk about that. Mm. We're going to talk about. The elephant in the room for the Oilers season. I'm going to be writing a post on that tonight. Talk about Vinny DeHarnay in a really interesting interview, revealing interview that he gave to a Montreal podcaster. Um, we'll talk about uh, Dylan Holloway. We'll talk about some of the battles that are shaping up. The battle for essentially the last defensive job and fourth line center job. Um and then we'll look quickly at what's next for the Oilers. Let's start with the captain's skate. There's been a lot of um, positivism coming out of the captain's skate, Bruce, because apparently all the players are there. Oh. Like everybody showed up. Um, Raphael Lavoie was missing, I understand, but he was at an NHLPA event, which I'm, I'm sure the other players would be cool with. I'm, I guess, yep, is he there 100%. now? So he's all of them are there, like, and, and they're getting like a two-week jump. I don't know if every captain's skate is this well attended no. across the NHL. You know, I heard an interesting thing, Bruce, about the NBA. This is just a quick non sequitur. Andrew Bogut, who was at NBA Center for 10 years, was being interviewed. He said it's typical now for superstars on NHL, uh, NBA teams not to, not to even go to team meals with the team. Like the league is that kind of uh, segmented and fractured. You know, and some NBA players are making $30, $40 million a year now a season, $50 million a year. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I just found that fascinating, and I contrast that with with the Oilers and with the captain's gate and with the closeness, the yeah. the, the immense closeness that we're starting to see with these Edmonton Oilers, and um, you gotta love it. I mean, I I do. What's your take on it? Uh, yeah, I love it as well. I, I think that's probably the single most positive article I've written in quite some time about the. Ours as a team, I mean, I was looking for reasons for optimism, but there was plenty of reasons to find. It was a pretty easy post to write uh, about, uh, but driving it, 
was the fact that the captain had called for, you know, captain skates to start two weeks before training camp. And, and sounds like he encouraged his teammates to, to be there. And they are all there without any exception. I, I think uh, all 22 uh, players who played games with the orders last year, who's still around on those, you know, under contract, uh, were all there without exception. Uh, they also had a couple of, you know, the new guys that, uh, uh, Brandon Sutter and Sam Gagne on PTOs. Uh, they're there. They had a couple of their top, uh, our, what we designated as their top two uh, prospects, Xavier Borgo and uh, also Raphael Lavoie, uh, both there. And then Lavoie had to skip out on day two to go to this thing in Washington for NHL rookies, which is some kind of a program for, you know, rookies, I think, uh are likely to make the NHL just sort of an orientation uh, camp or event of some kind. I don't know how long he was there. Sorry, my cat's scratching her ear. She'll stop soon. And uh, um, so those guys were there, you know, just basically everybody who's potentially to uh, start the season with the team is already there and skating. And the togetherness aspect is is, uh, what gets to me. I mean, they've got... Uh, I believe it's seven new dads on this team. Uh, wow. Dar- Darnell Nurse, he had to skip the second day of uh, of this captain skate because, oh, yeah, his uh, his um, partner was having a baby that day. You know, like he skated the first day with her on the verge, and then I guess he missed a day or maybe two. I, I'm not fully up to speed with who's been there every single day, but just the, the, the immediate full attention of the team and the clear intention and focus of the team that this is the year we're going for it and you know we're just going to do everything we can to uh, to get ready for the season and just the togetherness of the team in general this is to me this is kind of uh, Ken Hall- Holland's great experiment of get, of actually trying to make a team of guys that like one another. I think it's been fairly clear in some of the stuff that Holland has done uh, that, uh, you know, bringing in uh, uh, guys like Zach Hyman and Jack Campbell, for that matter, uh, that... uh, Connor Brown. uh, Yeah, Connor Brown, that are just, you know, really positivists. They all happen to be... uh, uh, have a background in Ontario. Campbell's an American, but he played for Toronto. The other guys are from Ontario, and there's a just a ton of guys on this team from Ontario, and they they seem to be buddies. Like I know when uh, Zach Hyman had his tournament, you fo- there was this one tournament, the one photograph they posted these dudes up on the balcony at the tournament, and had Darnell Nurse, Warren Fogle, Ryan McLeod, Evan Bouchard, uh, Connor McDavid, and Zach Hyman. They're all from Greater Toronto. Like they were all, sort of, let's go home and play in Zach's tourney, you know. And uh, some oil fans might hate that. Uh, I don't. Uh, I understand that Jeff Jackson, the new uh, uh, CEO, has prioritized scouting and, you know, seeing the OHL as it is, as the best provider of talent uh, from any one league anywhere. And he's uh, he's prioritized that. But it's more than that. It's that these guys get along. They're buds, you know, and it's not like a, a 
free ticket, you know, like Devin Shore. He didn't get a job back this year, and he's moved on somewhere else. He's part of that core group, but now they've got Connor Brown in there. Uh, Leon is an honorary Canadian. It seems like wherever he goes, he just fits right in. And, you know, they've got this, uh, uh, I guess it's a sense of purpose, and I'm delighted to see that. that uh, uh, they've carried it to this point where, you know, let's just get her going and, this is what we're going to do. Now, the question is, what are they going to do, which I suspect will be part of what your column is about. Mine yeah. was more about it, the fact that they're here and some of the things that we have to be positive about, including, you know, this great offensive team that led the league by over 30 goals last year, uh, or it was 25 goals last year, and uh, uh, was pulling away in the second half of the season, you know, had the great scores that the Oilers got. Uh, the fact that, you know, basically they've got their team built right now and we're all talking about, well, who's going to be the 12th forward because we know who the other 11 and the 70 and the two goalies are going to be and we got room for one more player under the cap. And that's really the biggest outstanding question right now. It's not like, well, we don't have, you know, we don't have a number one D-man or we don't have, a, you know, yeah. gaping holes here and there in the lineup. I mean, the there's certainly quest, performance questions about one or two of the guys that they do have, the aforementioned Jack Campbell being high on that list. Um, but we know who the guys are. They're all here, and they apparently are here with one objective in mind, to uh, finish the job that uh, they think they left unfinished last year. It is a facet of the modern NHL with uh, the way the salary cap is in contracts that most teams – there's questions around who is the number one demon on teams, but in terms of who's making the team, most of those decisions have been made for most of the teams right now. There's very like for most teams, it's just this. It's the same question. Who's going to be the bottom two or three players on the roster? Cause everyone else has a job guaranteed. And that's the fact of the matter. And this is the modern NHL. Um, it's good. They like each other cause they're all yeah. signed up long. Yeah. I really like the idea of Borgo and Lavoie being there. I just think that mm -hmm. is that ever yeah. valuable for a young player like them instead of just going to rookie camp and then being on the team for a couple exhibition games and moving on. Mm -hmm. They're really, you know, Lavoie could make the team, of course, but yeah. um, they're really they're going to benefit from getting to know um, the older players and playing with them and becoming familiar with 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 that. And two weeks is a long time in a young player's life. You can learn a lot in two weeks. And uh, that's just very encouraging news. You, you, um, I also heard, heard an interview with Matthias Ekholm, speaking of honorary Cana uh, Canadians. Does he ever sound like a Canadian? Uh -huh. He has a complete uh, North American accent, yeah. and he's moved here, and he's, his kids are going to school. He just fit right in yeah. like, man. Ah, he's he's if he keeps playing like he did last year, Bruce, he's yeah. he's going to be a big fan favorite because he's really become a. Oh, an he's, I think he's cemented as fan favorite already. You know, the yeah. Viking beard for one thing, but the way he's embraced his family, he's embraced Edmonton. That's going to win him nothing but fans in these parts. He stayed here for the summer. You know, none of this going back to Sweden stuff. He's like, let's get used to my my uh, new uh, home and. I, that's, that's here, and he 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 professed to really love it here last year, and there's not one thing that uh, I saw from the guy that suggested that he didn't or that his teammates weren't big fans of his. And now he's had he and his wife had a baby of their own in this time, and Leon. I mean, if there's a better hockey name out there than Leon Ekholm, I want to hear it. 
Hey, I saw a video that purported to be of Oscar Clefbaum playing pickleball. We were talking about him last week. I don't really like I, it's the internet, so who knows? Never trust a video on the internet. But that's what the video said it was. I couldn't really tell who it was in the video. But if if Clefbaum's well enough to play pickleball, pickleball, then that's that's good. I'm glad to see that. Bruce, um, I do I don't have, think you need I, both your shoulders to play pickleball, and I don't think the other guy is trying to run you through the wall either, right? I mean, there's it's a non more or less, than, I believe, non-contact sport. It's not even racquetball. That can get pretty tough. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a young wannabe athletic guy. I don't hold that against him, and I don't think there's anything nefarious. Oh, I about I'm him. not holding just, it against him. I, yeah, I'm, no, I think there, you'll find some people saying, what the hell is he doing? What the hell with some people? Like, yeah, well. <laughs> Bruce, um, the, it, him, there, it's a time of positivity right now. There's a lot of positive September. talks. I've heard interviews with McDavid, Dreisaitl, Woodcroft, Hyman on Oilers now, um, and reading them in other places, and everyone's really positive. And one thing struck me as missing from those interviews and and maybe just because this is my personal obsession uh something i've been started to think and write about a lot over the summer but i think a lot of Oilers fans are thinking about this and none of them really addressed what i think is the elephant in the room with this oilers team there's lots to like about this team but bruce there's something really not to like about this team Something that was in the playoffs against Vegas was a shambles, was a mess. And that's the team's defensive play. You know, they were in the regular season, they were 17th overall. They were a mediocre average NHL team on defense for the season, giving up 3.1 goals per game. Against Vegas in the playoffs, they gave up 3.7 goals per game. And you can say, oh, yeah, well, Vegas is the cup winner. You know, that's that's a great team. Vegas wasn't a great attacking team. I don't think they're they were good. Mm-hmm. They could put the puck in the net, but this wasn't the 1985 Edmonton Oilers. No, this was this was a this was a decent attacking team by playoff standards, and the Oilers gave up 3.7 goals per game. It was a mess. It was a shambles. And if they if this team doesn't get on top of this, Bruce, they're not no. going to win the Stanley Cup. And now maybe it's no big deal that they weren't talking about it. And Woodcroft said uh, to Bob Stoffer that he wasn't one to give away any secrets or talk about stuff, right? So maybe, um, you know, and he also talked about, you know, they want to build, they don't want to throw out their successful stuff. Well, I'm hoping he's talking about their power play and their attacking because that really was successful. But defensively, Bruce, they, this team has got huge problems. And I don't think it's, I think it's important not to overlook it, and early in the season to really uh, write about it, think about it, and for the certainly for the team to focus on it. And yeah. I'd actually like to hear more talk about it. I, I think they can they can talk about that more openly as a goal. I think the goal for the team should be reducing their their goals against this year by fifty goals in the regular season, which would make them one of the best defensive teams in the league. I think they could, they can and should be one of the best defensive teams in the league. There's nothing stopping this this team at even strength from uh, being a really strong defensive team. Other, you know, there has to be a higher level of commitment and intensity from each player uh, on defense. There has to be better goaltending and there has to be, you know, I think a much better defensive system. Um, and maybe that's what Woodcroft doesn't want to talk about, the fact that that's going to be right. reworked significantly, which is fine. 
I mean, other teams are going to figure that out after one game. You can watch the video and you know what they're what they're doing. It's not going to be a secret. So if he feels that, I, I mean, that's his business. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. Like, mm-hmm. He's the coach. But other teams will quickly know if they've changed their defensive mm-hmm. system. They need to. Their defensive system was a fiasco and it was part of the mess. And it, that is on Jay Woodcroft. He's got to fix it. It's on Manson, Dave Manson. He's got to fix it. Um, the goaltending, you know, much has been talked about that. I think it's overrated, honestly, um, how bad the goaltending was. I think it, it's, it was mainly a problem of defensive structure and, um, players not focused on their assignments within the system that existed. So, um, you know, maybe those, maybe they think they can stick with the same system and get better results by having players play with greater intensity and focus. I, I actually don't think that's the right idea, but we will soon see, and for me, in the first part of the season, that's what I'm going to be looking at closely right. and writing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, clearly it's the one area where, uh, where there's most room for improvement. So why not focus on that as a place to improve? Uh, the Oilers were 17th last year in goals against. Uh, at Vegas was 14th in goals for, with 267 goals. So nothing real special. 14th out of 32. And they were, you know, long way behind Edmonton and they're 325. You know, Oilers had almost yeah. 60 more goals. Uh, but I'm, I don't think that it's even necessarily fair to equate the Vegas team from the regular season to the one that we saw in the playoffs when all the pieces came together and Mark Stone returned from the dead. You know, they had added a couple of players in his absence. You know, they had basically Barbashev. the whole team and they were going. Yeah, Barbashev was the big addition. Two really good wingers. Yeah, although Barbashev was there, well, the last part of the year, but not the whole After year, the deadline, right. yeah. Correct. Because yep. Stone was on, on the list. Anyway, they so clearly the team that they had in the playoffs was better than the one they yeah. had in the regular season. I'm not sure you could say that about Edmonton. And I'm not sure you could say it was better than the one that finished the regular season, 18-2-1. and one. And they just, uh, uh, Vegas got to him. And, he's, you know, you talk about the goals against. Well, they gave up four goals in all four games they lost. And that's really the magic number right there. If you can keep that goals against below four with this team, you're going to win a lot of games in, a, you know, in any given game. And overall, you want to get your goals against average below three. And if you can do that, you're probably cooking with gas with the offense these guys uh, have got. But, I mean, from where I said, I'd love to see them say, you know, not necessarily say, but I, I would love to see um, – a focus on well, if we get 20 fewer points, but we get uh, 20 more pluses at the end of the season, that's actually an improvement. Even though our our numbers will be down a little bit offensively, let's work on the two-way game and try and uh, you know uh, pick up on that goal differential front. Right? Every goal we don't give fewer up. scoring points. Are you talking about? Yeah, 20. Yeah, say McDavid and Drysdale each get yeah. 20 fewer points, but they're both you know plus 30 instead of plus 10 or whatever it was last yeah. year. That's a pro- that to me. That would be a positive set, a step. Yeah, Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle should be looking at being plus forty. You know, this season mm-hmm. at even strength, they should, and so should Darnell Nurse, and so should Matthias Ekholm, and Zach Hyman. You know that, and, and Evander Kane and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. They've got to. Mm-hmm. They've all got to. Got to be the focus, and you know it's not just them. Again, it's the coaches. They have to. Right. They have to figure out a system where the where the, you know. This, this particular group of players can thrive on defense. 
and these two goalies can thrive uh, behind the defense that you that you've created. So it's it's the whole group of them, and I hope to see that happen. Bruce, well, the coaches uh, we we haven't heard much from yet because these are the captain skates. Coaches aren't yeah. there. Woodcroft right, was interviewed at Just happened that the Oilers just incidentally rented out uh, uh, Rogers Place for two weeks to this guy, you know, this guy off the street, David O'Connor, and his friend Fa Afo rented the <laughs> building for two weeks. And, you know, it's, it's not an official event at all. I mean, I'm sure the Oilers don't even know what's going on. The team doesn't even know what's going on down there. But, you know, seriously, they've got... Uh, uh, we're, we, we'll start hearing from Jay Woodcroft basically the day training camp opens that, you know, that focus will go there. And I will be very interested to hear what he states as potential objectives or targets for uh, uh, for team performance and where they need to take this to, to carry it to the next step. Here's, I don't expect Woodcroft to talk Woodcroft to talk about his specific defensive strategies, right. but not, no, I, not would like stuff, to, just I would like to see him say... He, we have a goal yeah. of this many goals we want to cut. And we're not going to talk about the process of getting there. You know, it's all about the process of doing that, both in the practices and the games. That's their whole focus. But having a goal as well would be, I think, um, a useful way to measure him this year as a coach. And, I mean, in the end, all that matters is whether they win in the playoffs or not. But, Bruce, let's move on to the next topic. The next topic. Let's move on. Oh, the Vinny... Deharnay podcast. So, um, Deharnay, uh, I didn't really know what kind of person he was at all. Um, I had, I had very little sense of him as, um, you know, I don't listen to the interviews of the players after the games very much. I don't find them that interesting. Um, so sorry about that. Uh, but man, was he, was Vinny, maybe he's out, maybe I've been missing out, Bruce, maybe all along but was he did he ever open up in this interview um to um these it's called the sick podcast by tony marinero and you should go listen to the podcast just google that i tend to myself yeah and um he he talked about his um essentially marinero asked him because Vinny had been had such a long road to the pros he wasn't a playing his first nhl game till he was 26 he played yeah. Four years in college, he played two years in the, you know, or a year in the ECHL, two and a half years in Bakersfield, and then he finally made it to the NHL. And um, he he said, you know, did you ever think about quitting? And out from DeHarnay's mouth came this incredible story about, frankly, about personal development and about uh, fighting through um, using cognitive therapy. And positive mm-hmm. thinking techniques, which are fairly well known, which you know, there's numerous books about these things, um, to fight through his his despair and desperation. He suffered a concussion in his first year in the ECHL, and uh, he he talked in the, this interview about you know he 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 was so down, you know, he just didn't want to. At times, he didn't want to be alive anymore. He was so down, mm-hmm. and he was anxious. He, he didn't think he was like he was the 16th man on the 16th man roster. He didn't see uh, a future in professional hockey. Here's a quote from Vinny. Quote, I developed anxiety, started having anxiety attacks, started being depressed, led to the depression. I wanted to quit hockey, wanted to quit on life pretty much. I didn't want to be here anymore, unquote. So 
we see a young person um, who came out of college with high hopes and it all came crashing down, culminating in, in a pretty tough injury. Concussion is just devast can be mm -hmm. a devastating injury. And and what got him out of that was reading some books, uh, listening to podcast, you know, podcasts on personal development, reading books on personal development, on cognitive therapy, starting to have a daily journal where he would write affirmations, things that he wanted to, to believe about himself, the person he wanted to be, and the idea of affirmations, if you write them, you will become that person. They become, you start to adopt that idea in your head. And um, it worked. Um, all of this hard work, um, and, and it was the key thing. It For him, it wasn't, like he was working hard off, off and on the ice. He was doing a lot right there. But the, the, the thing for him that made a difference was his mental attitude. Yes. And it was, it was um, dramatic. I mean, he worked from the ECHL to become one of the best defensemen in the AHL to become, um, out of nowhere seemingly, a defenseman who, before the playoffs at least, it really captured the hearts of Oilers fans with his great physical play and his play on the penalty kill. He had his struggles in the uh, in the playoffs. And um, so I'll, I'll just, he, he wrote about um, taking, uh, he, I think he was, I think he was talking about, I think it was game four or five where he took that tripping penalty, Bruce, against Los Angeles. that yep. led to a power play goal against. And um, here's what he had to say about that. Quote, I was so bad. I left the ice so in my head, anxious. I'm like, I can't believe I almost cost the game, almost cost the series. And then to stop all that, the brain, the little voice inside the brain that tells you you're so bad and you're this or that, just the journal. I've learned to use my tools and not get stuck in, you know, the cycle of you are bad. I'm here for a reason. I know I'm here. I'm just going to execute. I just got to believe in myself. So he has these affirmations that he wrote, and and um, they're kind of kind of funny in a way. Have you seen Ted Lasso? One of the players on Ted Lasso of this great series about a soccer coach. They they all start. He writes affirmations to himself. Wow. Just reminded me of that a little bit. Anyway, he he writes one of them. Um, he writes every single day in his diary. Right. He writes, "I'm self confident." and I embrace uncertainty. And he does this, so yes. he's always so worried about being sent down, and now he's just kind of, whatever happens, is, happens. He used to have an af affirmation, I will play in the NHL, and that's now changed to, I am an NHL player, and I will win the Stanley Cup. And I love, I love that's that. That's a nice I, objective to have. I love that he's telling himself that, and he's seeing that, he's visualizing that, and it's, he's going to, He's going to make that happen. And um, finally, it ends off with a great story about Connor McDavid. <laughs> so again, this is again in the LA series, one of the early games. And I think I know the play where DeHarnay caused the goal against essentially, I think it was one of those plays where he was wandering out towards the blue line, actually trying to cover someone in the Oilers defensive system that I don't like. Anyway, he, he was responsible for a goal against him. McDavid was on the ice and he got a minus one on the play, a minus one on, on a stat sheet McDavid did for his goals plus minus. So after the game, DeHarnay uh, is feeling bad about this and he goes up to McDavid and he says, hey man, like, sorry, that was a bad pass on me. Dash one is on me. I'm sorry, dude. 
And then he says, and, and, and then he says, and, and Connor turns around. He looked at me and he was like, dude, I don't care about stats. I just want to fucking win. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mind hearing that either. He's got pretty, pretty dandy stats, but his, his focus is in the right place. If that's his objective. And it's a good message to be sharing with his teammates, frankly. And, uh, it sounded like it let uh, uh, let Vinny himself refocus a little bit on what the priorities were, and he came out of that with a little more respect and admiration for for McDavid, uh, who's what a year older than Vinny, if that. But uh, he's yeah. played a lot more NHL hockey. But uh, yeah, he's uh, um, uh, that that story cheered me up immensely. I have to say, I laughed and. Uh, uh, at the same time, thinking, yeah, that's exactly what I want to hear him having said. So, speaking of McDavid, and as for uh, Harney himself, I think everything I heard in this interview was consistent with what we saw last year. You know, he was interviewed quite a bit. He's a very open, engaging uh, fellow. Uh, and uh, he says what's on his mind. I mean, he went on Hockey Night in Canada and said, you know, to be successful, he needs to be a prick on the ice. Well, that's uh, that's not a new strategy necessarily, but it's not often you hear someone talk about it on after hours in quite such blunt terms. And he he uh, uh, you know easy easy fellow to like, and you see that you, it, I do believe that he's been through a lot. And one of the things that caught me about the uh, uh, this all the statements that he said, which is maybe just sort of fundamental to this kind of uh, uh, cognitive therapy, as you say. Is that uh, the? It helps him put behind a poor performance. He says, "I turn the page and it's over. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up and it's a new day. It's a new page. It's a blank page." And he starts with his affirmations again every day. And that sounds, uh, I guess, kind of simple, but uh, clearly it's done some good because this guy's come an awful long way from being a concussed ECHLer to being a uh, everyday NHLer in pursuit of the Stanley Cup. You know, he beat some pretty long odds to get to where he's got, and he beat him with positive attitude and, and uh, his his approach to things. And I'm guessing with his ability to put things behind him, that not you know, and rather than let him weigh on him, which is unfortunately one of the aspects of depression is that you know people get dragged down on things that have happened and can't seem to put him behind him. It sounds like he's found a way to uh, to deal with that. And he did have a few tough lessons in the playoffs. So he struggled at times in the LA series and he had a miserable game one against Vegas. And to his credit, he bounced back after that. And I thought in the last five games of the Vegas series, he was fine. But it was the, uh, uh, it was uh, a learning experience for a lot of Oilers and especially the guys that were new to the NHL playoffs. I mean, how could it not be? So, uh, his, I found this um, story uh, uh, a, a very good read for starters, and it just made me even more of a fan of this player that I've, uh, you know, he's an easy guy to like, Big Vinny. He is. And it's, and it's interesting, like, we're on social media now, and you, and you people often write about now about their mental struggles and their anxiety mm-hmm. and their depression. And yeah. and I, I just would want to recommend um, if this is an issue that you, that you have, and it's an issue for most people, right? Everyone gets the blues and is anxious, and then some oh, people yeah. have it worse than most. Yeah. Um, listen to his interview and think about the process he went through. 
and you know he references um one book i think it's by sir something hargraves i can't remember the name of the book off it's it's in the it's in the story that i wrote and it's in his in his interview um some great advice there is my only point right. and i think um this is a process this kind of cognitive therapy positive thinking journaling um that many people engage in and have uh, tremendous results and there's some real hope there i think for people in messages like this so um you know um i would recommend uh digging into that interview bruce let's uh segue into daharney is locked in a kind of an interesting battle and i don't think it's just with philip broberg i think it's with um Brett Kulak and Cody Cece. And um, Kulak and Cece, they both have two years left, do they, on their deals? Uh, Kulak's Kulak got three more years. Kulak has three and Cece has two. Cece has two. They both have uh, four-year deals, but they sign them one, one off-season apart. And Kulak and Cece are both a couple years older than DeHarnay, and Broberg, of course, is just... 22, I think, mm -hmm. maybe just turned 22. Um, so there's been a lot of talk, um, in, and Wood, Woodcroft talked about this too, about giving Phil, Philip Broberg more of a chance, um, seeing what he can do. I think it's absolutely essential. You've developed this player. He's obviously got tremendous uh, size, skating skills. He looks like he could be a top four uh, defenseman to me. Uh, kind of a defensive specialist who can really handle the puck safely and be shut down the best attackers on the other team because he's such a fantastic skater and he's got such a big frame. Um, so they do have to figure out, but how's that going to happen? And most of us assume it's going to come at the expense of Vinny DeHarnay. The more I think about that, I'm not so sure about that. There, there are... The, Kulak and Cece um, are, have both played very strong hockey for the Edmonton Oilers, and they also had bouts of pretty weak play. Kulak, first half of last season, was really marginal and then became mm -hmm. strong um, as the season went on and in the playoffs. He was ex really uh, performed well in the playoffs. Cece had a down year, um, pretty much, after having a really good year the year before. Um but the Oilers have cap issues. The next couple of years, Broberg and DeHarnay are likely to be cheaper players than Kulak and CeCe. And I think when you're thinking about that and you're thinking about Broberg's potential, if he, if he starts to live up as, to his play and you're thinking about what the Oilers need in terms of toughness and size, work on the penalty kill, DeHarnay kind of, DeHarnay mm -hmm. checks a lot, a lot of boxes for this team. And if Broberg is capable of playing in the top four, I wouldn't be surprised. It's just got me thinking maybe we'll see a midseason trade with either Kulak or CC moved out um, this year. Wouldn't be surprised at all. It would if be a logical Broberg move. If can step up, it would be logical. If he, can, if he can step up. I think he can step up. And I think it would be the team, the team like there's salary cap reasons that they that would be a good idea. Um it would, but I also just think he's a. I, I I see a lot in this player. Not everybody does agrees with me on that. I'm more bullish than most people. Ron Broberg. How do you, 
How do you, yeah, Broberg? How do you how do you see it, Bruce? Yeah, uh, the seven seem to be set, don't they? Yeah. Uh, with Niemelainen on the outside looking in, who's roughly speaking a left shot to Harney, um, but uh, I think Deharney's shown a little bit more upside on the penalty kill uh, aspect of the game, especially. Uh, I think they'll go with the seven. I think we're going to see a lot of games. David with 11 forwards and 7 D-men. I don't see why that would change. We've had a year and a half of Jay Woodcroft, and he's done that roughly half the time throughout where he's run with uh, with 7 D-men, and those are the 7. Now the question is, how do you deploy them? And the one intriguing idea that you popped out there is put Broberg right in the top four and sink or swim with the guy, uh, but you've got to then a couple of veterans below him to, you know, if, if he's struggling on this night or that 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 would be a um that would be an interesting gambit by the Oilers to, to try that uh i you know you could really win big with it if you know he makes that next step um the pressure's on the kid frankly to you know to make it because four years later and and uh we're you know when you're sort of designated as a 6-7 defenseman, you're right on the very cusp of even being on the team. And uh, he did some nice things last year, and as you say, he has that uh, he has that speed, he has the size, the reach, uh, what the scouts and, and um, uh, hockey men, the 200 hockey men call length. You know, like he can just suddenly sort of take one stride and stretch his body out and stretch his stick out and he's taking away 15 feet of ice with that one move right and he's got that kind of uh uh you know it's it's uh you can see what they like about the guy and why they want to 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 continue to put him in there but they put a lot of obstacles in his way and i mean part of the ken holland way is okay you think you're going to make the nhl well, i'm going to find three real pros to stack up in front of you and in the case of Philip Broberg, those pros all have term on their contract. This is the part that that I wonder who, you know, where is the overall plan when you have Broberg that you've spent your first ever draft pick on, you're bringing up through the ranks, and now that he's here and should be ready to go, you got a guy with seven years to run on his contract that plays left defense, and two other guys with three years each on their contract that play left defense, and where does he go? So if he's capable of making the switch to the right side, great. And if he's not, you're going to be struggling to get minutes for him. The one time last year the Oilers that he got minutes was in the third quarter of the season when uh, uh, they were running seven D-men, but four of them shot right. And Broberg was getting more or less every third shift on the third pairing with uh, was Bouchard that he was playing with at that time. And they were kind of crushing it on the goal differential front. They were both, you know, they were... Very good players playing down the lineup and uh, cleaning up on the other team a little bit, and so that was uh, uh, that was his best time. And then they traded Barry a righty for Ekholm a lefty, and it all changed. And all of a sudden, you know, Broberg is not just uh, part of a seven-man unit, but he's number seven, and he had you know was kind of getting the extra oddball shifts here and there but his ice time just really took a big hit in the fourth quarter and yeah bringing Eck home solved some big problems here but it didn't necessarily help broberg so uh 
Yeah. What you'd love to see, or what I'd love to see, is let's put Ekholm on the right side. Sorry, let's put Broberg on the right side with Ekholm. Let's see what happens if he plays 20 games. If they play 20 games as a pairing, let's see what that does to Broberg's development. And if he leaps forward with it, great. And if he struggles with that, then maybe you're reevaluating. It uh, Ekholm was asked about playing the right side himself. He did so in Nashville mm-hmm. last year. Oh, okay. And the team got off, excuse me, to a bad start. Mm-hmm. With um, and he was playing with McDonough, and he was mm-hmm. on the right side. And he, he said it was it was different, but he it sounds like he's open to it. So it could be Ekholm on the right side and Broberg on the left side um, to start the year. And I wouldn't. We'll we'll see what happens. Um, coaches mm-hmm. often talk about giving young players a chance early in the year and quickly abandon that. So um, we've seen yeah. that a lot. You know, if Cody Cece doesn't step up, though, um, he could be the odd man out very quickly. Um, or if Kulak struggles. So there's, there's, there is really healthy competition. Let's face it. Last year, the competition wasn't solved by the obvious thing, which is injury. Um, this was a remarkably healthy group of players. Usually one defenseman or two get injured. So that's, that's probably what's going to happen. Uh-huh. It's just how it works in the NHL. It's a tough position where you get banged up. And um, so someone's going to get, it, it'll mm-hmm. sort itself out that way, most likely. There's no telling. I remember that year Ethan Bear started the year as the seventh defenseman. And he wound up playing every single game of the entire year. It was the lockout year, so it was 71 games. But he played the first game because uh, they, uh, uh, the young uh, Swede that they brought over had... Uh, Person? He was actually ahead of him. Um, Is it person? I don't remember what that person, yeah. And he was a, but he missed the first game due to injury. Uh, so Bear started the season, and Adam Larson broke his ankle in the first period of the first game, blocking a shot. And yeah. then he finished the game, but by game two, he was out for, you know, six weeks or whatever. And Bear was in there, and Bear wound up grabbing the, you know, uh, uh, seizing the day and and uh, earning himself a job and becoming you know becoming pretty pretty useful player in the process and then other years you have you know nobody gets hurt and it, just it, never know yeah yeah you just you just don't know I mean the Oilers had uh, uh, had other young guys that just couldn't get in the lineup in years that uh, the team was healthy Jordan Osterley I mean the year that the Oilers were had him on his last year he played two games. The whole year because the whole defense just stayed healthy yeah so and they lost that player because and that was just happenstance like some of it you just don't know speaking of injury um one of the players that's being talked about right now a lot is dylan holloway mm-hmm. uh who has had a couple he just keeps getting he, he's getting a few injuries he had a, you know the the thumb broken thumb that had surgery that needed to be done twice really set him back <sighs> and last year other injuries uh he was out with so um this guy, uh, Rob Brown, calls him Evander Kane light. Yeah. Um, he's big. He's fast. He can make plays with the puck. He does look like a winger who could play in the top six. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens there. I, um, he could also be a center. Like, he was a strong center in college hockey. And um, maybe that's his best position. And maybe the Oilers could use uh, another center. So I, I, uh, 
I wouldn't be surprised, like if let's say there's an injury in the top six, if Holloway would be the first guy who gets a chance uh, to move in there and um, show what he's got. And I wouldn't be surprised if he did very well. Like he he does have a lot of talent. He he's really good with the puck, and, and uh, he's big and he's fast. So um, wouldn't be surprised at all for to see him have some success in a top six role. On the other hand, he's a, he's quite a useful player. Like I think he can play down the lineup too because he's I I, I see him as an okay defensive player already, and mm-hmm. uh, he should get better at that as he as he gets more familiar with the NHL game. So yeah, he he's an intriguing player. He's a, he's got seems like the full package in terms of the skill set, as you say, uh, young, fast, big, uh, strong on the puck, very strong, uh, aggressive. Uh, challenging for the puck, like uh, his instincts of just you know being playing hard on the puck when the other guys have it. That'll that that's a good instinct to have. Almost what position you wind up at, his ability to play left wing or center. Uh, he does pencil in as a top six player potentially on the wing uh, or bottom six down the middle. Maybe the fact that he can do so many things, they're gonna sort of say pick. One thing, say this is going to be your job for a while. Uh, But his rookie season was promising. He had some very promising moments. He had a he had a goodly number of flat out rookie brain cramps. Uh, We saw we saw a few of those, Uh, and you know that I think the um, uh, uh, the mental side of the game is where he needs to do the most work. And I, you know, I'm not not saying he's a dummy. I'm just saying he's you know he's got to. Uh, bring up his game into uh, into the NHL level and and just learn to be consistent in his responses. Don't abandon the passing lane to go for a line change for no apparent reason. You know you can't be doing that kind of stuff in this league. They will burn you. And he found that out twice last year when he pulled that stunt. Both times the puck wound up in Edmonton's net. And so you just want to see learning from those things and and progression in that area. Uh, on the other hand, there was a time early in Mark Messier's career where I despaired that he would ever figure out that aspect of the game. He turned out to be pretty good. You know, I mean, it's it's early in the, in this uh, fellow's uh, progression. I'm not saying he's Mark Messier. I am saying that his record says consistently it takes time for him in the uh, in the. AGHL, he was sort of point of game player in his first year. In the second year, he absolutely crushed it with uh, 88 points in 53 games, including 40 goals. And University of Hockey, his first year, he was like half a point a game. And even then, he did most of the scoring at the end of the year. Second year, he was a point and a half a game. Went from half point to a point and a half a game. And from year one to year two, then he turned pro. And now he's had his uh, first full campaign in, in, well, two-thirds of a campaign in Edmonton, didn't score much, but now this is the second year here, and let's see how he, how he, his track record says he, uh, he learns in the first year and performs better in the second. Okay, well, here's, here's show me time in the NHL, it's his second year, so uh, I have, I have high hopes for the player, I'm still not entirely sure where and how he fits in, in terms of which Blind mates, what position he winds up ultimately playing, but uh, the uh, 
the raw talent base, if he could stay healthy, David, this was the other thing. Yeah. They sent him down to Bakersfield after right. 51 games, and they wound up, remember, they wound up in this problem where they could only run 20 guys for a while, and they sent him, and they actually sent DeHarney out uh, at that point, and this was just before the Paul Yarby trade that opened up the cap space. And he went down to Bakersfield. Wouldn't you know he got hurt in the very first game he played in the minors and missed a stack of time. And he came back, he got seven goals in 12 games. Pretty darn good. Uh, 10 points in the HL in 12 games compared to nine points in 51 games in the NHL. He was clearly uh, found a, a new uh, level of not just comfort, but production in the AHL. Now, the step is to do that, but in the higher league. Bruce, um, we'll talk now about the fourth line center job, which Holloway, I think, is in the running for, right, honestly. Right, yeah. um, but uh, Kurt Levins uh, wrote about this today in his Nine Things column, um, one of the great Sunday reads in hockey. And um, Kurt has the battle down to a number of players, uh, Raphael Lavoie, Sam Gagne, um, Lane Peterson, James Hamblin, and... It, which what's this Sutter's name? Brent, 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 Brent. Well, Brent's the dad. Uh, Brandon. 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 Brandon Sutter. Sorry. You know, and the thing that struck me first of all, looking at that list of people, is the way Devin Shore played at the end of last season. Isn't he a better player than than any of those guys? It made me wonder why Devin Shore's why they didn't offer him the minimum contract. <laughs> Seattle did. I think they did. He's not a PTL, right? He got a contract, didn't he? Anyway, maybe that's it. Maybe they would weren't going to give him a contract. Yeah, but two, I just thought two-way deal. I think it was. Now maybe I don't know Lane Peterson. Maybe Lane Lane Peterson's ready to be the na- next uh, Devon Shore. Um, some people, including Kurt, uh, think he well. Kurt wants to see Sam Gagne get that spot and uh, thinks it's a possibility. Um. My my sense is that's not a very good group of players to be picking from, although I don't know Lane Peterson, so I can't really say. Hamblin didn't impress me much as an NHL player. It was his first kick at the can, though. Maybe in a, in a second attempt, he'll be more solid defensively, a bit more feisty, giving the team more of what they need from that position. But I didn't see it in the first go around. I just, Gagne's coming off injury. He's, he's, I don't see him as a center. I don't see him as a defensive specialist. I don't get it. Um, listen, he, he's, he's loved here in Edmonton and, um, uh, people are rooting for him and I'm not rooting against him. I just don't see it. And as for Sutter again, two years off, um, coming off long COVID, He's more the type of player who theoretically fits the mold of what they need. He's a he's a defensive center, and they could use a defensive center, even if he's not fast. But he's been away from the game a couple of years. He's 34. I mean, how many yeah. past their prime defensive centers have we come seen come in here and not get the job done in a third or fourth line center capacity? Not even close. And so I'm just, Devin Shore would have been, Devin Shore played well, really well in the second half of the season. So anyway, I've made that point. 
it's done. It's over, over and out. Yeah, I thought they PTO Devin Shore, and I still think they would have had he not found this contract yeah. somewhere else. But he's gone. And, he's gone. I mean, he, he's. <clears throat> I mean, you should be able to find players of that quality for sure. And I mean, uh, uh, Lane Peterson may very well be that player. Yes, he, he happens to be a right shot center that helps. Boy, has this guy ever moved around a lot? Last July, uh, he was traded from San Jose with Brent Burns in the trade that dumped Brent Burns' salary from San Jose's perspective. And, you know, Burns was clearly the focal point for Carolina, who never even dressed Peterson for a game. In the end of October, they traded him with Ethan Barrett of Vancouver for a fifth-round pick. Uh, and then in uh, January... They put him on waivers, and Columbus picked him up off of waivers. So this is not exactly the track record of a guy who's high in high demand around the league. You know, he's been included in this deal or, or that. And he's played with four NHL teams, a total of 71 games. And he's played at least 10 games with all four teams, which is unusual. It's not usually he's have a sort of one game here, whatever. But he's played with Arizona, San Jose, Vancouver, and Columbus. Not exactly murderer's row of top NHL teams. He didn't make any of those teams. So how he's going to now suddenly make the Edmonton Oilers, uh, I would say the track record bets against it. But maybe he's one of these players who's still improving at age 26 and uh, finds a place where he fits. But, I mean, they got to give him a look. But I can't say there's anything in here that tells me that, boy, this is the guy that's going to solve that problem. He did Four score goals. a bit in the minors last year. Four goals in 71 NHL games. Now, he has been a prolific scorer for um, four, four seasons in the in the minor leagues. Like, he's a guy. Good, yeah. But... But he, he he's a point of game guy in the AHL. But he's right. got to he's got to be a defensive player. Like he's mm-hmm. got to Lane Peterson coming to camp is is like he's got to make up his mind. He's got to do the old Vinny DeHarnay and his his thing should read. That's what I should write a little piece. <laughs> it should be. I am the the most uh, conscientious, uh, nastiest prick of a fourth line center in the NHL. That's what Lane Peters. Peterson's affirmation should be he's not that player from his record, yeah. but to make the orders, that's what they need. Now that, that was Brandon Sutter, you know, at, at one point in his career, that was the kind of role he was vying for. And he, and he didn't do a bad job of it for a while, but I don't, he's 34 now and right. you know, players lose a lot. And it's, and you know, and marginal players don't have a lot to lose. So and Gagne's coming off uh, some some hip surgery. So, so anyway, yeah. I I just see, I actually don't think like Kurt listed the five players. I'm thinking Lavoie might make it on the wing, or Borgo yeah. might make it on yeah. the wing, and they yeah. might Ryan or Holloway there as the fourth line That's set. Four C, or they may just go with three centers, eight wingers, and seven defensemen on many nights. Indeed, Bruce. That's uh, that's as likely as anything. And then is. you've got McDavid and Drysaddle and McLeod as your four C, and you're probably pretty good shape. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a plan. <laughs> the defense worked like successfully in the past, and yeah. I mean, not that Jay uh, Woodcroft is quite comfortable going there. And again, there's going to be injuries, so um, yeah. you know, likely. I, mm-hmm. And we'll see how that all shakes out. So it's good that you know there's a number of players who who are on the cusp, even on the wing, right? Like um, 
Borgo would be a bit of a stretch to make the NHL this year, but Raphael Lavoie isn't. You know, he, he if he's progressing normally and he's going to be an NHL player, this is the year. He's got to figure out a way. You know, I don't know what his affirmation should be, but, um, um, you know, if, you know, being me, it's going to, and if these are bottom line players, it's going to be, I'm going to be a conscientious defensive hockey player first and foremost um, and um, add some physical play. And when I get the puck and have a chance to take it to the net, I'm going to bury it. So that's maybe what Raphael Lavois should be thinking. Um, but he could easily make the team. And, and uh, Tyler Tulio um, could suddenly come out of nowhere and make the team. There's, you know, there's some players who aren't that, that, that have had okay success in the AHL and um, but probably need more time down there. I do think they, they just do maybe seem still one forward short of uh, what they need in terms of competition for that last forward spot. Um, I like Max Comtois as a player. Like he, mm-hmm. he always struck me as a big physical winger, nasty, who could like kind of like Lebois. Or um, mm-hmm. that kind of player. So he's still a free agent, I understand, but I, I don't know what's going on there. Well, none of us knows what's going on with that Hockey Canada 2018 yeah. investigation, of which he was on that team. And uh, the fact that, uh, you know, nobody's signing him and there's whispers of, you know, the league being about to take action. Uh, you it know, you, you don't we, want to draw conclusions, no, but it could players, it could yeah. definitely could be related. And there could be all the teams sort of saying, well, let's wait and see until that comes out before uh we want to go there so be the case but and, and we don't there's, there's no no we don't know but i mean there's that specter hanging over everybody on that team unfortunately until they you know until they finally if they ever do come out with their findings on it uh you know every that entire world junior team is under a bit of a cloud but there's a few names that pop up over and over again and there's yeah, uh, okay. you kind of oh. get you wonder when the other shoe's going to drop. And there's, I can understand why teams would be reluctant at this point when it sounds like the NHL is close to making a, making some kind of a pronouncement. With Comtois, it could also be that he had one really good year in Anaheim, 33 points in 55 games. And then he just regressed the last two years. He just yeah. hasn't. And uh, who knows what's going on. a lot in Anaheim, it seems like. Good. Is coach there again? <laughs> I don't know what to think of Dallas Aikens after all these years. I wonder if he'll get another chance in the NHL. He's, oh. He certainly came across as someone who was sure of himself when he was a um, um, mm-hmm. on Hockey Night in Canada. But I guess you don't get to be an NHL coach if you're not sure of yourself. But Woodcroft doesn't come across that way. Like I mean, it's not like he doesn't come across as lacking confidence or he's not sure of himself. But he, Aikens seems to have a certain amount of, like, I don't know, drill sergeant or um, not drill sergeant, but um, I'm the, you know, first star general of the NHL and uh, we'll do it my way. Anyway, Bruce, um, what's next with the orders? What's coming up next in terms of, uh... well, I'm going captain skates. Uh, um, the uh, rookie camp is coming up. Um, uh, they're going to be playing games uh, this weekend in Penticton, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Monday, they play the jets, the flames, and then finally the Canucks. So I think they, to the same schedule every year at that tournament. And the Oilers and Canucks is the big wrap-up game on the Monday. And Oilers and Flames is sort of the late game on Saturday night, the Battle of Alberta. And so they uh, 
uh, to play three games in four days. And as best I understand it, that group will actually meet up out there because they can't even technically begin training camp before September 15th. So it begins right on that day. And so they will um, uh, get through that. And then the Oilers will, uh, you know, pick several guys from that team to invite to uh, main camp. And I think the main camp this year will be pretty streamlined, David. I mean, they got guys that are, uh, there'll be numbers because they got guys signed to minor league contracts and they all start with the NHL team and then they get split up. But I think we'll find that that splitting happens pretty quick. And the only thing that'll slow it down is they're playing eight preseason games in 13 days. So you don't want to have a 20, 26 man roster before you're playing those games, right? This is why they, uh, this is where guys like Sam Gagne and uh, Brandon Sutter and uh, uh, Lane Peterson, Lane Peterson, Hamblin. Yeah, they're going to give them games. And they're going to, you know, they they they're going to they're they're going to give them a look, and we're going to see, uh, especially the early games. Last year, McDavid never played, I think, for three games, and then he, you know, he started playing the last five games. So there'll be a dividing point, I would suggest, in end of the first week of camp. Or so, where they they ship off a lot of guys, and the PTOs they'll probably keep right till the end, just for those purposes of having enough guys to put on the ice for all these exhibition games. Which, please tell me why we still need eight preseason games in the National Hockey League. It's eight, eight games. I mean, cut it to six at least. A lot of people see like to see four. Cut it to four. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But anyway, that's where we are. So we'll see. We'll go through the motions of some games with, uh, you know, not too many, uh, you know, guys that we recognize like Sutter and Gagne and so on, but not too many sort of core Oilers playing, uh, you know, through all of those preseason games. So they kind of have a couple of different agendas. I got to get through those games. uh, But I think they got a pretty good idea who's on the team and they're going to probably fairly uh, streamline that process. There's only one battle for one job, really. <laughs> you know, the, the, what What would you think? Like, listen, they don't want to give up the revenue, Bruce. Nobody does. The players don't, the owners Clearly. don't. So what they could do is turn those four of those games into regular season games and have an 85 game regular season or no, that'd be 86 game regular season. I mean, they could do it that way if they don't if they really don't want to give up the revenue, which I don't think they do. Or they could just do with two fewer games and try to make it up elsewhere. But I don't, th- you know, follow the money. These these decisions are obviously about the money because um, yeah. I don't think they at least now they're charging. I mean, you can get a packet of preseason games and it's like thirty to sixty dollars as opposed to oh yeah, you know there it's you like they're, they're they're they used to charge just the same. I mean, way back. Uh, they just put the same price on all tickets, preseason and regular season. Um, and then for a while they kept it like that, but nobody could sell the preseason games at anything close to that price. And now they've actually lowered the sticker price on preseason games. But uh, there's just, there's not enough there, of, you know, not enough of substance to... It's a lot uh, of games. It's a lot of games and it's a lot of... You know, second-tier players on both the team you rooting for and whoever they're playing against that night, and it's uh, 
I got that as part of the procedure. To stay games is too damn much, especially in 13 days. Remember that one preseason, Bruce, where Ty Ratty, Yessa Pugliarvi, mm-hmm. and someone else? Who was the Tyler other? Tyler Yamamoto. They had Tyler 15 goals between them in preseason as right wingers. And then they had nine goals between them in the regular season, which is a little longer than eight games. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Alrighty, Bruce. Uh, well, I think uh, I think that does it. So uh, thank you for talking tonight. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy your your holiday, David. And we'll uh, we'll uh, keep covering the orders through camp and now uh, back into post game podcasts once they start playing real games here. Uh, um, yeah. We d- we usually didn't. We don't usually turn up the the gas ourselves and do post game podcast to the regular season. I don't think we've, we have not. Uh, yeah. I'm away for two weeks and uh, there's a chance that you'll do a podcast in the meantime. And in between time with Kurt Levins, uh, we'll see uh, if there's some news. Um, maybe you'll do that. So. And there's every chance we'll be writing stories for the cult of hockey every day. So for sure. Coming. We'll keep that coming for sure. Thanks Bruce. Thanks for talking. Right. Thanks for listening everyone. And in the meantime, and in between time, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.